Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Lovers and cave dwellers, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenny Regan. That right there is the ever, imp- well, I want to say impersonable, but I don't think that's an actual <laughs> word. Impersonable? <laughs> good one. Personable? Personable. Mr. Horsley. <laughs> I like it. And today <laughs> on the show, well, it's Tori Belecci, isn't it? It is, man. He comes on, talks with Jeff about his time on Mythbusters and about his, his show, The Great Escapist. And, man, they have a good time because Jeff's a big fan of his, and this is a lot of fun. Cool, cool. Uh, were you a big Mythbusters watcher? Oh, yeah. I love that show, man. I love it. Because you're kind of the person that's, for lack of a better term, you can be very pedantic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I think Thank it's, a, yeah, we're going to be there. It's five tw- It's 5.30 now. And you're like, no, no, no. It's 5.28. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> You're like, well, well got to be accurate. <laughs> get, the, get, get the time right. I want to correct you. <laughs> I mean, it's just an example. It's not. That's not really accurate because you don't really do I mean, that extreme. It, it is. But you I, like I have to be very. Done, I, have, I have absolutely done that before. Yeah. Well, and you've gone through where somebody will say something, and you'll be googling it right then and there, going, "No, no, no, that's wrong. It's this. It's like that's well, hilarious." And, but MythBusters kind of like MythBusters and Snopes. Yeah, are like the ultimate. Like pedantic thing to do to somebody. <laughs> well, it's like it, it's internet culture, man. Because if you post anything wrong on the internet, yeah. someone's going to come correct your ass. So, you're like, gotta make sure you say it right. So you don't have to deal with all the trolls correcting you all the time. Well, some things, dude, are absolutely that needs to be done, especially when it creates fear and anxiety. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they're just pushing this false narrative, like be hard. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> but should we just get into Tori Balecci? Let's do it. Let's hear this. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we had the fantastic Tori Belecce. How's it going, sir? Good. How are you? You're close. I was close. I was <laughs> really yeah. hoping. <laughs> can, can, it was very close. Belechi. But, but <laughs> well, I got the first name right, and that's that's the important thing, I guess. <laughs> I, I did a talk show one time where the, the presenter was like, okay, we're going to call you out. I just want to make sure I get your last name right. How do you say it? And I was like, Bill H-E, Belechi. And he's like, Belechi, Belechi. Cool. Okay. All right. So, Runs out. I'm backstage, and he's like, "Okay, so our next guest is Tony Belacci." <laughs> oh, dang it! You right. got the, you got the last <laughs> name. Right. Get the first name right, man. That that, that must have been me in, a, in another life. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I have a set of questions, a notes I always have next to me before I do my interviews, and I did put your name, your last name in there phonetically, so I wouldn't make any mistakes, and I still definitely make the mistake. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) Sorry, sir. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. It's just funny. All right. So so as I was doing some research on you, I read that in your younger years, the the young Tori, you accidentally set fire to your house by making a homemade flamethrower. And later, you got into trouble with the law for making a pipe bomb. And both of these things were taught to you by your father. So um, is this true? And was your father more proud of you for creating these two things on your own or upset that you got into this kind of trouble? <laughs> Those Both stories are very true. Yeah, my father was like a crazy firebug. He, <laughs> he was worse than me growing up. 
And, and so he would teach me how to make these like devices or whatever, you know, just we would take legal fireworks and make them illegal. But then he kind of was like, you know, that was fun and now we'll move on. But I took to it and got so curious that I started making my own explosives, you know, and he found out. And I think it was, it wasn't until years later when I was doing Mythbusters and I was on a a show and they were interviewing me about, you know, my childhood. And I told them about me making a homemade flamethrower and almost catching my house on fire. They never knew. They didn't find out until that interview. And, uh, what had happened is I had, you know, hooked up this device and filled it with gasoline and I was like shooting it in the backyard and I turned and it went up the side of the house and the whole side of the house caught on fire. And so I ran out, got a hose, sprayed it down, but the whole, so I you know put the fire out, but the whole side of the wall was black with soot from the, from the fire. Holy! And I, I was freaking out because my parents were at work and they were going to be home soon. Luckily, we had just had the house painted. So I ran out to the garage, grabbed the paint and a roller and just <laughs> freshly painted over the bird marks on the, on the wall. And they never knew. Holy until, crap. You know, whatever, 10 years, 20 years, you know, 15 years later when, when they found out. That is crazy. <laughs> and they were not happy. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> so... What did your father do that he knew this? I mean, is he on a FBI watch list or something? Or did he have like a job connected? He probably is now. Uh, We (laughs) both probably are. No, he was just, you know, he was just a curious kid and, you know, a firebug. And so, you know, whenever it was 4th of July, we, you know, we'd make our own firework displays. And, you know, he, he would get into it like us, but I just went to the next level and craziness. And so... You know, at the time, he wasn't super proud of me. But now, you know, <laughs> looking back, he's very proud. <laughs> I would hope so. It was all worth it. All the, all the uh, almost burning your house down. But now you're a superstar. <laughs> so it's totally worth it. Yeah. Well, then, and then the, the pipe bomb incident, I was working. So at the time, let's see, I was, I was in high school. So I was, I was legal. I was like 18 or 19. So I, I was, you know, not a kid anymore, let's say. And it was 4th of July and we would take fireworks, you know, legal fireworks, take them apart and then stuff it into pipes to make pipe bombs. And I didn't know it was a felony. (laughs) At the time I was just like a kid making really awesome fireworks, but turns out pipe bombs are felony. And so (laughs) we lit, you know, we were setting them off in our backyard, which is stupid. And I lived in kind of a small neighborhood, but our neighbor just had enough. And so he called the cops, but he came out, came next door and he was like, the cops are coming. He he gave us a warning. I know he called the cops, but he was like, oh, I was listening to the police scanner. Cops are on their way. And I'm like, okay. So me and my buddies, we left the house. My parents were out of town. So that's why we were doing all these things, right? They were camping. And so we were just getting into trouble. So we left the house, went and hid out, you know, at the mall. And then, you know, a few hours went by and we're like, all right, let's, you know, let's go back and we go back to the house. And as I'm driving up the street, I'll, I look to my buddy, I'm like, what if there was like cops at, in front of the house? Like, wouldn't that be <laughs> messed Like, that'd be crazy, right? That's not going to happen. And we turn the corner and sure enough, there's two cop cars in my driveway of my house and they're going through the yard, going through the backyard. And so we just like drove by and kept going. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we're in such (laughs) trouble. We're in such deep crap. And so I like just didn't go home that night. I like hung out at a friend's until super late and then drove back, parked my car a couple of blocks away and like jumped through backyards to get to my house. And then the next day, my parents were coming back from their trip and, and I just told them, I was like, I'm like, I'm a fugitive. We <laughs> let we lit off a pipe bomb. The cops were here, but they didn't catch me. And, and I just completely confessed and they're like, yeah, the neighbors told us. And I was like, okay, but we all thought it was going to be like a ha ha. Don't do that again. Slap on the wrist the chief of police came to the house and came in and he brought 
all these pieces of metal. It was shrapnel from the uh, from the pipe, and they had gone over into neighbors' yards. Wow. And the neighbors complained. Yeah, and that's when I was like, like, oh my gosh, like I could have hurt somebody. I could have killed myself. And he said, look, I talked to your neighbors. I went to your high school, talked to the teachers. They told me that you want to do special effects. That's good. You're not, you know, it sounds like you're not a bad kid, (laughs) but this is not how Hollywood makes pyro. Like they don't use pipe bombs. (laughs) And he said, if I ever hear a single noise from this neighborhood again, I'm coming up to arrest you. That's it. He's like, you're "You're lucky you're dealing with me. If you had, if you, if a rookie had caught you, like you would have been arrested. You'd be in jail right now for, for this felony. And that's when I I was like, ah, I didn't know. I didn't know it was a felony. (laughs) And then, so now he lets me go. Now years later, I go into special effects and I do pyro and I'm working on Mythbusters and I'm blowing stuff up. And I remember coming home for the holidays and I ran into the chief of police and he was like, I watch you all the time. I'm so proud of you. He's like, (laughs) look at you. Now you're blowing stuff up for a living. And, And I just, and I was like, you know what? Thank you. Because if you had arrested me, you know, if you, if you hadn't done some research and found out what kind of a person I was, my life would have been ruined. Yeah. Right. I would have had a, I would have been arrested. So, so it was just, uh, it's funny, but now every time I see him, he's like, <laughs> I can't believe you get paid to blow stuff up. <laughs> I mean, just think about what would have happened if this was going forward, like 15 years, like maybe, able to, you know, and, pipe bombs and uh, the explosion nowadays you would have been definitely expelled juvenile detention it had been they would have have locked me up i mean seriously the way you know with with all you know the the trouble that's you know i I guess it was after columbine like you know all this stuff at the time i was just like a, a curious kid getting into trouble yeah but now they'd be like oh he's a terrorist yeah throw him in jail like He's gonna kill somebody. Yep, zero tolerance. You're done. You're that yeah. that prison cell just locks down. You're out. It's over. <laughs> I would have been done But it is. It's amazing. Like when people talk about like the 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 people who have impacts in our lives and the little things that you know when you hit that road and could have gone either way. And that chief luckily did the right thing. That it could easily have gone in opposite direction. It it, it does kind of open up the idea of what people can do for others. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I look back and it's like my life would have been completely different because I hadn't even gone away to school yet. Like I was just graduating from high school. So, you know, that would have been the end of my career as a, you know, as a citizen, because it's like, oh, you got a felony on your record. Yeah. So and so after you, you luckily avoided the law, you ended up attending San Francisco State University's film, film school. Yes. So what was your area of focus within the film school? Well, to be honest, I couldn't get into UCLA and uh, USC was too expensive. So, but then I did some research and uh, San Francisco state had a really great film program. And so I got into state and I emphasized in filmmaking and then writing and directing. And, but what's crazy is all the stuff, as far as technology goes, the writing, storytelling, directing, acting, all, all that stuff is still kind of, it's universal. Like people, you know, the, the training, the, the learning is, it hasn't really changed much, but the technology that I learned on is now completely obsolete. Oh, wow. Like, you know, we, I mean, we were shooting film and, you know, there are still filmmakers and directors who still use film, but I mean, like, it's it all like the editing is all digital sound recording and editing is digital. Even, you know, the film is transferred to digital and it's edited and then they cut the final print where, you know, I was shooting film cutting on, you know, a flatbed editor. We were doing full mag. I mean, it's, it's all filmmaking from like, you know, it's, it's it's so prehistoric now, you know, nobody, Nobody makes movies like that anymore. So, you know, but the principles of filmmaking are there and they, you know, they, that, that remains the same, but the technology, it's just the advancements after I graduated, it was just like digital, you know, just exploded. And, and the, but when I watch what you've done on things like Mythbusters and the great escapes and everything else, 
there's so much science involved, so much mathematics involved. And that was that covered in the in, at San Francisco State University? Where did you learn all of that? All, all the, that wealth of knowledge that you have in that area? The science, I mean, you know, I've, I've always been a curious kid. And, but when going, you know, going to film school, I, you know, I figured, okay, I'm going to get into the film industry, which I did. And it was, it was like, I used math and, you know, in some, some kind of engine, you know, engineering, but I mean, this is all stuff that it was just to, to build something. It was like, okay, what are the measurements? Okay. How much, how much, you know, plaster do we need? I don't know. Check the volume. You know, what, what are the dimensions of the, the box? You know, it's like those kind of simple things where, I didn't really think I would need to know a lot of the science and math that I learned in high school and college. But then when I got onto Mythbusters, it was like, oh, wow, like I really need to, a refresher course. Like I need, I need to bone up on all the stuff that I learned because now I'm applying it in a way that I never thought I would be applying in the, you know, in the entertainment industry. So for my day job, I'm a high school teacher. I teach English at a therapeutic school. Um, not the math, thank God, because I can't do math. But you know how many times kids like in math, you know, in algebra, elementary functions, all that stuff, they're like, when am I ever going to use this? Were you one of those kids? And obviously now you're using a lot of that stuff. I mean, did it all come around, you know, from your high school years being like, you know, um, I never would need to use algebra two, blah, blah, blah. And now, of oh. course, you are. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, most of the science in math, I was like, I probably won't use it. I mean, you know, I'll need basics, but what I'm going to be doing is more creative. It'll be in the arts. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to be focused on math and science. And then lo and behold, you know, I'm working on a science show on Discovery Channel. And it's like, ah, like I, I, <laughs> I, I can't, like, I, don't, I can't even remember some of the stuff I, I learned. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a, a daunting there was times where it was daunting, but the great thing about the show was we always had really awesome producers that would get us up to speed. And it was like, okay, here's the material that you need to understand. You're going to be explaining this on camera. So just read over it, understand how it works. So that way you can explain it in your own words. So that was, that was always helpful. Oh, that's very cool. So the producers actually knew, knew their stuff as well. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we had really good researchers for sure. When when you first, oh, we'll, we'll get into um, a little bit more MythBusters soon. But when you were doing work for Industrial Light and Magic and MythBusters, how much of it was learning on the job, and how much was it when you were even applying for the job that it was yes, yes, I can do that, and then oh my god, in your head, how do I figure out how to do this? <laughs> yeah, with the, the the term yes. "fake it till you make it." Indeed. Yeah, that, that was 100%. I mean, I could build and I can make stuff. But when I applied for ILM, and they were they were ramping up for the movie that they were working on, they were getting really busy. It was uh, Starship Troopers. And so they and I had just finished working on Sphere. Do you remember Sphere, the Michael Crichton movie? Oh, with, yeah. Uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone and yeah, I love the books too. <laughs> Samuel Jackson. Yeah. So, so that was like the first big movie that I worked on. I was, you know, a prop and model maker for that. And because of that movie, I got into the union and industrial light magic had a union shop. So you couldn't just go and work there. You had to be in the union before you could get a job there. So luckily I got into the union and then, when I went over to apply at ILM, you know, you walk in and it's like, this is the Mecca. Like, this is where Star Wars was made. This yep. is, these are legends that are, I'm working side by side with, like, I, I can't do this. And so, so it was a very terrifying yet exciting time in my life because it was like, I made it this, like my dream job was to be a model maker. Yeah. And, and because of, the first Star Wars I ever saw as a kid, that's what gave me that drive. And now here I am applying for this job and now I get it. And then I'm like crapping my pants. because I'm like, oh, <laughs> like this is what I've always wanted. Now I have it. Now I have to do it. And I don't know if I can. I'm terrified. And I remember there was moments where they would come over and they would give you like the, you know, two-dimensional drawings that, you know, the the conceptual art and they were like okay make this into three dimensions you know make this a model and so i would 
start making the model, but then I would go high. I would leave my desk and I would go hide somewhere in the shop and work on it until I got it to a place where I felt like it looked good. And then I would go back to my desk and then <laughs> the supervisor would go, oh yeah, that looks good. <laughs> that is awesome. And, and you also got to work on the first two Star, Star Wars prequel films. I mean, yeah. at the time, that was like the special effect you know, thing <laughs> to do. I mean, you went, yeah. everyone... And I was a huge Star Wars nerd at the time. I mean, that was the movies that everyone was looking forward to going, like, oh my God, they're back. Star Wars is back. And you're the yeah. guy behind the scenes making it happen. That must oh, have been yeah. crazy for you. It was. And it was because I had finished working on Starship Trooper. And then, like, they, the, you know, the way it would work in the model shop is there would be these big movies that would come in and they would hire a bunch of people. And then when the movie would go away, then they would just kind of lay everybody off. So I was laid off and I was just kind of looking for my next job. And I got a call again from the model shop and it was Steve Golly. Steve Golly was one of the original model makers for, you know, the first Star Wars. And he called me up and he's like, Hey, we're, we're looking for model makers. We're working on a new project. And I was like, awesome. Like I'm available. He's like, okay, cool. You know, start next week. And I'm all, what's the project? And he's like, oh, I can't really tell you yet. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so when I came in and they told me what it was, it was like this crazy secretive, like it, it was, it was like, everything was so top secret. Like if we wanted to move models from the shop into the stages where they would get filmed or from the art department back into the model shop or whatever, if we ever stepped outside of the building, we would have to cover everything with sheets because <laughs> there were people in the parking lot, paparazzis trying to get shots of what the new Star Wars was going to look like. It was nuts. Jesus. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and because it is Star Wars, in many ways, the special effect people are kind of stars in their own right in those, in those films. Because like I said, the movies are almost as well known for what you did behind the scenes as what's going on on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even more so like, you know, it's like some of these characters that they've created are iconic and it, you know, and just to be, like you said, being a, a geek and going, Oh my God, it's the next star Wars. It's the next three star Wars. It was a dream come true. Like never in my mind in, you know, if I went and told that little kid who watched star Wars someday, you're going to be working on star Wars building models. I mean, it was, it was almost too much to handle. And, you know, we would just kind of like everybody in the shop who are all also very much sci-fi yeah. star Wars geeks. We would just be looking at each other going, Oh my God, can you believe it? We're working on star Wars. <laughs> that must've been so, so absolutely surreal. Now, was George Lucas heavily involved in what you were doing? Did you get to meet him? Yeah. So George Lucas, you know, this was kind of his baby and he would come through the shop every day with the art director and they would look over different models, whatever. And so when I first started, they told everybody, they tell everybody, if you see George Lucas in the hall or you see him, you know, somewhere on the campus, just don't talk to them. Leave them alone. Okay. Like, you know, because you, you can imagine. It's like you have a company full of people who got into the industry because of Star Wars. And now here's the, the creator of Star Wars yeah. walking around. You're just going to have a mob of, <laughs> you know, Star Wars nerds going, oh, George, <laughs> answer this. You know, tell me this. What, what about this? How about this character? So, you know, there was this memo that went out to the whole company. If you see George, don't talk to him. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And, you know, and we would like, we'd see him in, you know, if we were getting coffee and he would be like walking by, you would just look at him and you wouldn't say anything. You just, okay, leave him alone. So now I'm working on the Federation battleship. And we, that was the one that kind of, it's like a, it looked kind of like a toilet bowl seat. It was like a ring, yeah. <laughs> with, like uh, with a big sphere in the middle. And so we were out on stage setting it up and the producers came out and George Lucas came out and he comes up and I like, I know this model, like the back of my hand and, you know, I helped build it, helped light it, you know? And so he comes up to me and I'm setting it up and he's like, does this light up in here? Can you get like, does this area in here light up? And I just look at him and I don't say a word. 
And I look at the producers and he's just looking at me like, why, why is he looking deaf? Like, why isn't he talking to me? And he goes, this part right here, does it light up? And I'm just staring at him with this blank look. And then the producer looks over at me and he goes, you can talk to him. And I was like, okay, because I was told I'm not supposed to talk to you. <laughs> Did they look and say anything like, like, what the hell was that all about? No, totally. He, was, he just giggled because he was like, why isn't this person like I just asked him a question he's not responding I'm like, I was told not to talk to you so I don't know what to say and when George Lucas walks past you is there a light that just follows him <laughs> wherever he goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this aura a glow about him <laughs> so after so working on ILM you actually decided to leave and go to uh, Mythbusters that that was sounds like to me like that was a ballsy ass move you, you left ILM to go to a show that hadn't done anything yet obviously Mythbusters didn't exist but Jamie um I'm gonna say his name wrong again Heinemann I mean what what made you think like where did that confidence come from that I'm gonna go do this show now and leave ILM well it it is it, it was at a point in model making like at the, at the time the industry was kind of drying up it, more and more effects shots were going to CG and I, and I remember you know we would put bids, you know, a movie would come into ILM and the computer graphics department would bid on the shot and then the model shop would bid on the shop. And whoever's shot, you know, whoever's budget was lower and could be done faster would get the shot. And the computers were just getting better and better and the shots were looking better and better. So, so it was like model making. I just remember we would lose a lot of effect shots to computer generation and, and, uh, it was obvious that model making wasn't going to be around. It, it was, it felt like it was becoming a dying art. And in my mind, I felt like, okay, I've worked here for eight years. I know these guys really well. Like I can always come back mm. if this TV thing doesn't happen. And I was like, let's go, you know, let's try this television thing and see what happens there. If it doesn't work out, I figure, you know, I'll work on this for six months and then go back to building models. But that didn't happen. Then all of a sudden it was like Mythbusters never ended. It just kept going. <laughs> <and> going. <laughs> Do you remember what Jamie Heinemann's pitch was to you about what Mythbusters was going to be? It was actually Adam that called me. He, he left because Adam and I were working at ILM. We were working on episode two at the time. And then he left to go film the pilot. Oh, actually, no, I think it might've been, I think we were working on Matrix 2 and 3. And, and so he took a break to go work on the pilot and then they picked it up and then they did one season, which I think was like six episodes or something like that. And then he, Adam called me, he's like, look, we're looking for background characters. And, and I said, okay, what does that mean? And he's like, well, we're doing this show. It's, we're looking at urban legends and we're using the scientific method to test it. But what we need is people who can build anything and set things up. And then Jamie and I will come in and we'll test it. And I'm like, okay, so I don't have to talk. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, you just build and the camera guys will follow you. They might ask you a question every once in a while. What's that? Or what are you doing? But you don't have to host. And I was like, done. Got it. Like I can build anything. I, I just don't want to be on TV. You know, I don't. <laughs> he's like, you got it. No problem. And so then like two weeks into it, it was supposed to speed things up, but it wasn't, it was actually slowing it down. So then they looked to me, Carrie and Scotty at the time. And they're like, okay, so we're going to break you guys off into a separate team. Jamie and Adam are going to do their stories. You're going to do your stories. Welcome. You're now a host. And it was like my worst nightmare. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the bill team with you and eventually Grant and Carrie became that like, like the great Trinity of a team. Right. I mean, yeah. And, and, and as important part of Mythbusters on the show as Adam and Jamie, because the chemistry between you three was, 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 was fantastic. Was it yeah, always that it, way? It, well, Grant and I had worked together for years at, at ILM. And so we knew each other really well. Carrie, I had just met when I started on Mythbusters. But, but then, you know, I worked with her for a 
couple of seasons. I, I don't remember how long Scotty was there for, but bef- you know, so I got to know Carrie really well. And then when Scotty left, it was like, okay, we need another member. And he was one of the candidates and it was kind of like a no brainer. It was like, I know him, he can build anything. He's super quirky and geeky. He'll be perfect. And yeah, kind of, I feel like Mythbusters, we hit lightning in a bottle. Like it was just one of those kind of things where everything came together at the right time and it just kind of took off. Did did you find that Grant, you and Carrie complimented each other's strengths and weaknesses like were the, were the things that you were good at were things that maybe they lacked and what they were strong at were things that you lacked like were you guys very good at balancing each other yeah absolutely i mean carrie was more of the artistic kind of free spirit grant was like very rigid and very precise and you know he he was always thinking mechanically he almost you know thought like a robot. Uh, and, and then I was more, I was more of the daredevil and then just kind of like the practical, like, how do we get it done? Like, I don't want to spend a lot of time. What's the easiest solution to get to, to achieve, you know, our goal. So yeah, we, we did really work. We worked really well together. And the thing, cool thing about Mythbusters, it became such a cultural icon. Not only was it big culturally, but I mean, it, to me, it seemed like it was so important to getting kids interested in science and did you find that, like, when did you realize the show's impact on the, the, the younger generations and making them want to be interested in math and science and all that? Yeah, that's a good question because it, at the time, we, since we were shooting in San Francisco, we weren't in Hollywood. So we weren't really living the kind of TV lifestyle. If, you know, like, oh, you're in television. You must, oh, that must be so glamorous and how cool. But we were almost like in our own tiny bubble, it felt like we were still working, right? Cause we were building everything ourselves. We were in a shop, we were getting dirty. They were just filming us. And so we just felt like, okay, we're just doing this thing. And it didn't really register that it was impacting people outside of what we were doing. <laughs> and it wasn't until we went to, I think it was Dragon Con, you know, it was a, a comic book convention and we came out it was Carrie Grant and myself and we, we walked out and there, it was like a room full of like 2000 people and they were all cheering. And it was like, Whoa, like people are actually watching this show. <laughs> and, and so many parents and teachers would come up and be like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's such a, it, it's such a entertaining show, but you're learning stuff. And you know, my, my students get so much out of it or my kids get so much out of it because they're actually learn it's not just passive entertainment they're they're taking stuff away from it you know regarding science and math is, is that when you can because after mythbusters and eventually you, you ended up doing the great escapist did did because of how the great escape is set up it makes me wonder did you decide during from doing mythbusters that you wanted to keep doing things that had an educational impact on kids students Well, that was Richard Hammond's idea completely. I mean, like he, you know, like we did White Rabbit Project. Cary Grant and I did a show on Netflix called The White Rabbit Project. And it was kind of like similar to Mythbusters because it was the three of us and we were looking, delving into stories and, you know, folklore or whatever and kind of testing the technology. And so, so like we definitely fell into this niche of, science enthusiasts and entertainers or hosts, presenters. But when The Great Escapist happened, I got a call from a friend who was a producer on Mythbusters and he was in LA, he called me up and he's like, hey, I just had dinner with Richard Hammond. And I was like freaking out because I love Top Gear and The Grand Tour. Like I'm a huge fan of Richard Hammond. Yeah. And he goes, he wanted to know if he can get your contact information. He wanted to call you. And I was like, how did, I was like, he, <laughs> how does he even know who I am? Like, I didn't even know I registered on his radar. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, like, I'm such a huge fan of this guy. And he wants to talk to me. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so he called me up and he's like, look, I want to recreate, I want to create a new genre, a new format for pop science. Like, there hasn't been a really good pop science show in a long time. And he's like, you had Mythbusters. We had Top Gear and he had a show called Brainiacs. I don't know if you remember that show. And it 
he loves the science and the technology and he's so good at, you know, demonstrating it and talking about it. And so he said, look, what if you and I work together, we bring your Mythbusters brand, I'll bring my Top Gear Grand Tour brand, and we come up with a new format for a show that you've never seen before. Right? And he's like, going, You'll, no one's ever seen a show like this before. And I'm like, okay, what is it? He's like, I don't know yet. <laughs> and so, so over a period of like three years, we would just check in with each other every couple of months and be like, what about this idea? What about this idea? And we just go back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, he called me up and he goes, I got the idea. I'm all, what is it? And he's like, it's a survival show. I'm like, a survival show? Like Bear Grylls already does that really well. Like, why would we try to tackle a survival show? I don't know anything about survival. He's like, no, 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 no. This is a different kind of survival show. We're not going to worry about like the water, the shelter, the food. We're going we're gonna to figure that out like in the first five minutes of the show. The real challenge is how do we deal with the boredom of being stuck on a deserted island? So what we're going to do is use our building skills and our engineering know-how to make the island awesome. And then, you know, occasionally we'll try to build things to get off the island, but mostly we're just going to try to make the island the most badass playground you've ever seen. And I'm like, oh my God, I love it. He's like, we're not going to survive. We're going to thrive. And I'm like, <laughs> please don't ever use that word again. <laughs> now, I think one of the coolest things about the show is also kind of, the, kind of funny that the show takes place on one of the most beautiful islands in Panama that I've ever seen. And part of me, at first I was thinking how much of the show was just an excuse to exist in on that island in Panama for a few weeks. <laughs> I looked at that and I was like, some of a bitch, he came off the night and he thought to himself, you know, I want a vacation on an island. Go and make them pay me to do so. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, we literally would just like every day we would just get up, walk down to the beach get in our little costumes, get on set. And then we just look at each other and be like, can you believe they're letting us do this? <laughs> like we, we did it. We did it. We did it. Yeah. It was by far the best, the most challenging, but most rewarding, just magical experience I've ever had in, you know, in any capacity, as far as television or movies go, it was, yeah, it was like a paid vacation. <laughs> I, I can't see I couldn't help. I, I did. I watched all the shows. I couldn't help that the show's biggest flaw was that the island on Panama was so beautiful. I was like, "Why are you guys leaving? What the fuck are you yeah. guys thinking? <laughs> Stay on the damn island. It's beautiful, and you have food. You have water. Where are you going?" <laughs> well, that, see, that was that, in the early stages. So I went over to London, where Richard Hammond's production company is, and so I spent a week in there. You know, we we spent a week in their office. They and so. We had writers, producers, and we just sat around a table, you know, for six to eight hours a day, just coming up with ideas. Like how, what is this show going to look like? And so early on, we figured out that if both of us wanted to stay on the island, there would be no conflict and there would be no reason to like, it, 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 you know, the conflict would be gone. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, what if Richard is sick of like, being on television, sick of all the responsibilities of life. And he is deliberately trying to stay on this island where I'm like, I want to get back home. I want to get back to my family. I want to get back to life as I knew it. And he's kind of savage, you know, like yeah. he, he's doing things to, to basically keep me happy so that I don't want to get off the island too. Mm -hmm. And so it worked out really well because he, you know, if you, you see everything he's doing is to make the island more fun where everything I'm doing, I'm trying to make the island like livable. Like, okay, <laughs> we need electricity. We need running water. We need shelter. And where he's like, look, I made a car. Isn't this cool? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, one of the funniest episodes was the July 4th episode, which oh. is it, it, the most um, avert effort of Richard Hammond to sabotage your ability to get off that island. And I, I thought it was, it was so smart. And I, and I also thought it was interesting that when watching the show, you guys created very interesting characters for yourselves. I mean, the Tory on the great escape is, is definitely a very, I mean, 
it, it sounded like this kind of a little more dour, a little more um, serious version of Tori. And Richard Hammond is sort of like this weird, crazy Doctor Who yeah. nut job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, are, are, are these it's anywhere so, close to reality? Oh. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's it's like, you know, neither of us, I mean, he's like amazing. I, I am not an actor. And so for the first like couple of weeks, it was like, like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And they're like, just how would you play it? And because this is you. Right. And it was like, oh, that's easy. I know how I would react to this. And then the moment I was able to do that, I, it, it was just pure play. And we had so much fun. But I remember the moment we got on the island. So we flew into Panama and we spent the night. And they're like, OK, so tomorrow morning, we're all going to pile into this tiny little airplane and we're going to check in. There, there's like a, a small hotel and it's not, I mean, it's like shacks the, you know, this, this Island isn't that big. And so it's not like a, a five-star hotel or anything, you know, it's just a, a cool little resort with little bungalows that the crew and the cast stayed. And they're like, we're going to check you guys in. We're probably not going to do anything today. And then the next day we'll shoot some tests. So we land and they're like, Oh, the producers want to do a test with you and Richard down at the beach to the, just the opening scene, just to see how it works. And so now here we are with all the executives from Amazon and all the crew that we've just met. And I've never worked with Richard before. Like at this point, I know him, but I've never actually worked with them. And they roll camera, you know, and then they're like, okay, action. And it was like, I just was freaking out. I'm like, what if this doesn't work? Like I'm crapping my pants. <laughs> and so we, we did the scene, we did the test and both of us after they cut, it was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is so surreal. Like I've been a huge fan of yours and now I'm in a scene with you. But then after we were done with the test, everybody behind the camera was laughing and they were like, okay, good. We got something good here. Like this is going to work. And so it was like a huge relief. Now, now was this scripted or did you ad lib this all? So it was outlined. It was like heavily outlined. So it was like, okay, you have to get from, you know, you have to get these points in and get there however you want. Just know that you need to talk about this factual point and you, you're trying to get Richard to go over here. So a lot of it was improv, but like I said, we had like a heavily outlined guide to get us through the scenes. But yeah, it's, it's funny watching it now. It, I, cause they did, they, they had me play more of the serious, like, logical like we have to get off this island richard we can't yeah. like i'm scared like i don't want to stay here and he's like Ooh, you know, <laughs> kind of like like you know kurtz from from apocalypse, apocalypse now, now <laughs> where it's just like he's lost his mind and he's like i am the king of this island <laughs> i mean i thought the show was a lot of fun the one thing I, I um i found interesting about the show is that on the idmb page the imdb you're listed as host not cast member is there a particular reason something about how you present you you viewed the show that you were seen more as the host not the character well because this was this was richard's idea Be, you know he wanted to make a show where we are talking we're, we're explaining he was basically saying this is our show like these are the shows that we have done all of our lives right science engineering we're explaining what's going on but he was like, I don't want to break the fourth wall. I don't want to look into the camera and go, what I'm building right now is also, we have to come up with devices where we're talking to each other and explaining what we're doing. And that therefore explains it to the audience. So, so it's, it's a pop science unscripted show, but we're doing it so you can watch it two different ways. You can watch it as these two idiots stuck on a deserted island and <laughs> almost killing each other or you can watch it and actually get some real science out of the show. And when you guys were deciding what you were, you could build on this show. Okay. You, you obviously, you, I mean, you build everything from basically a helicopter to a boat, to a <laughs> massive tree house to a tank. When, when, when you were deciding what you could build, was there any dis consideration of like when, before you started, like what was going to be on this Island or was it, I want to build this, let's pretend this is already on the island for us? Like, how did you just, like, were there rules to determine what was there and what not, and what was not there for you? The only rule we came up with was everything we build has to be motivated to either 
do something on the island or get us off the island. Like we weren't just going to build stuff for like, oh, this is cool. It's everything had a purpose. And so with that said, it was kind of like, you know, we were like, okay, we want to, obviously we want to build a car and because we want to tow things from the shipwreck. So how are we going to build that car? And then if that doesn't work, what would be the next build that would help us? And then it's like, okay, if we were to try to get off the island, you know, by sea, what, what inventions, what, you know, creations could we build to get us off the island? So it was, it was always motivated by that factor. You know, we, we didn't want it just to be like, oh, look, we built this thing for no reason. It was like everything was built for reason. And then it became, then we found other uses for that. You know, it was like, here's this, here's this tank that we're using to drag stuff back to the house. But then, you know, at one point, Richard turns it into a, a military tank. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and one thing that's kind of interesting, cause like I said, you're the way you're building things, you're building things from tankers and heaters and, and other kind of random things. So when you're looking at those materials that are available to you, did you just take the material, which obviously are not the normal materials you would use to build a car or a helicopter or anything like that. How did you guys decide what materials would be on the island for you to use? Well, that was, you know, where we took some huge creative license, you know, it was like, because so much stuff washed, you know, we just said, you know, if we need a bike, it, it washes ashore. Oh, if we need something, <laughs> it's magically on the boat. Oh, look, two shipping containers washed up ashore. Look at all the stuff inside. So, you know, we were pretty confident that, people would come along on the ride with us. Mm. I mean, it, it's, it's a ridiculous, you know, goofy show. And we are like caricatures of ourselves. But we felt like if we do it right, people will see that we're obviously not taking ourselves seriously and go along for the ride. And 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 the show is a lot of fun. I mean, I mean watching as an adult, I still found this show very enjoyable. The scene, the, the episode where you guys are at war with each other, it's really hysterical. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. And and when you guys were filming, because like I said, the show is a lot of fun, a lot of entertainment value there. What, what was the consideration between spending time dealing with the science and explaining it and obviously the entertainment value inherent in the show? Like, how did you decide you were going to balance that? that? That was just kind of like a, a writing, you know, it was like any any kind of conflict or need that we needed to do right so it was like okay we need to here's here's a problem we need to solve that problem and it's like dramatically we could fight about it and then it was like okay but now we have to figure out using science how can we solve that problem so it was just it was a really fun experiment of a new type of way of doing a science show you know it was like mm. It's not like, oh, okay, we're going to cut these vegetables and make batteries. Why? Because it's possible. You can do it. That's why we're doing it. But it's like, no, we got to charge our phone so we can call home and get somebody to come and rescue us. So, so it was really fun that all the, the you know, it, it was so easy to blend the science into the drama or whatever you want to call it, ridiculousness that the balance just kind of found its own, you know, it kind of found, it found uh, its own way of balancing out. So, I mean, I can't give anything, I don't give anything away on what happens in the show, but I'm sure there's an issue with potential for a, a season two, unless you guys figured out how to get stranded again. Is there, is there some idea be, that you're going to create another season for this and something like in the works? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what, like while we were on the Island, we were like, okay, how, well, like what, like if we get season two, what's season two going to be? And, you know, I've, I've heard like a lot of one idea was like a a prison. We, we could escape from a prison. And then I was like, Ooh, what, what if it's like escape from New York? Like what if there's like the, while we were on the Island, the civilization has collapsed. And now there's like, Sit, you know, there's like whole cities that are have been turned into prisons and we crash land in one of those or we get thrown into there. How do we escape? So there's definitely plans for, you know, season two, but nothing, nothing for sure yet. When, when would potentially word come down that there is going to be a second season of this? I, yeah, that's a good question. This, these, these are all these are all ana like the, the analytics, right? They, they look at all the data and they go, okay, yep, <laughs> this makes sense. Let's make another season. So 
I, you know, I'm not even sure when, when we'll find out. Is, is there, are you going to, could you expand the cast and introduce more discover X discovery actors and <laughs> hosts? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. No, Well, cause we were, we were, when we were talking about this, we were like, Ooh, we could have like kind of guest appearance, you know, in, in between episodes where somebody could come ashore on their boat and we're like, Oh my God, thank God you saved us. And they're like, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll just spend the night and then we'll, we'll leave tomorrow. And then we wake up the next morning and they left without us. And we're like, what? Why did they leave us? So, you know, kind of like Gilligan's Island yeah. where you would have people come in and then they would just go, yeah, we'll help you escape. And then for some reason they would just leave. So we, we had talked about that and we were just going to like call any kind of, you know, friend that was an actor or, you know, a celebrity or whatever. And, but then Richard really wanted to see what our dynamic was. He was mm. like, let's see what you and I could come up with, you know, just us two stuck on the Island. And, and I'm so glad he did because it's like now, you know, we're, he, he's like my best friend. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. it was, it was a, he was a fan. I, I was a fan of his, but now it's like, we were so close during the filming and we just had so much fun that it, it's like, you know, he's a friend for life. Well, the sales pitch to other actors must be pretty easy. Hey, come to Panama on an island, tropical <laughs> island. <laughs> we'll pay you. Don't worry about it. You know, that's a nice little pitch to give to somebody. Yeah. But you know what? They, like this one particular island. So a, a lot of those tropical islands, they spray for bugs. And this one, they do not. They're very, you know, conscientious of, of the, the ecology of the, of the island. And this is the island. This is island where they film that show Naked and Afraid. You've seen that show? I know of it, yes. Yeah. And you see those people and they're like covered in like welts from some bug biting them. These bugs are on this island and we got ravaged. I mean, it was like, it, it was so disgusting. Like, and these things were tiny. They look like little gnats, but then you would just feel a little bite and it would create these giant welts. And so like the whole crew, when you'd be down at the beach, you would just be getting eaten alive. And you know, that, that part wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of funny that you said it was where they were filming naked and free. Cause there's, there's a couple of episodes where you're discussing the other person on the Island, that there's a third person somewhere on the Island. And I guess technically, I guess there was, there's a whole another episode a series being filmed somewhere else on that Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the, the other thing about the show, it's a mystery. There might, you know, it's like, it could be pirates. It could be a monster. It could be, who knows, you know, there, there, there's something out in, in that, in the, in the jungle of that Island. See, I, something I, I, I was, was, was Willing to bet at some point, like Carrie Byron was going to come out of the woods and be like, "It was her <laughs> this entire time." <laughs> uh, that's funny. But, and so the show is on Amazon Prime. Yes. Uh, all six episodes are now available. Is, is it yep. because it's on Amazon Prime? Is it harder to gauge the success of it because you don't have the, the weekly like viewership, the numbers? You know, like it, it is. Yeah, it is for us. It's trickier because we don't. I mean, I don't personally know. You know, when we worked on MythBusters every week we would get numbers and it was like the ratings are this so the ratings are that but but i mean even those those numbers were weren't completely accurate because they don't they didn't have the data at the time where now with amazon and netflix they know what you're searching for they know how you know what you're watching how long you're watching it for and the pattern in which you watch shows so so you know nowadays Amazon and Hulu and Netflix, it's like they know exactly how many people are watching mm. and how, how they watch. So, so it is, it is tricky because yeah, you, I'm dying to know, like, <laughs> are, are, are we did like, did enough people watch? Are we going to get a season two? <laughs> oh, I'm, like I said, I'm hoping so. I, I found the show a lot of fun. I, I started watching the show because obviously I wanted to interview you, and I wasn't sure what I was getting into when I started watching it. And I thought, like, well, this is you know, this, oh, this is quirky, but after a while, you get so sucked in, you're just like, you know, damn Richard Hammond, go get him, Tori. <laughs> he deserves it, that bastard. <laughs> I love that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, because it's like, you know, some of the criticism we've gotten is, oh, I thought you guys were going to be really stuck on an island and trying, like, really surviving. 
And it was like, no, like, like we, we do those shows outside of, you know, it's like he does that show where he's being real. I do a show where I'm yeah. being real. This is, this is us playing fantasy, but there's real science. And, and yeah, that's, that's, it's like, if, if people could just like, it's, it's such a, like a ridiculous, it, it, it was like, even working on it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like my fantasy. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be stuck on a deserted island yeah. and, and be able to make it awesome and build whatever I wanted. And here we are filming the show. It's, it's like that, that little kid inside of people, it, it's really going to you know, resonate. And, and, and I found the show just, just such a, a fun, relaxing quality of the show, especially with all going, what's going on in the world. It was nice just to watch the show and you just enjoy. It. I mean, it, it was, you could tell you're watching two adults, you know, like kids having a good time on an island. And it was, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, I, 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 when I first went into it, I thought it was going to be, like you said, the hardcore, this is how you, I would escape the island kind of thing. But right. after watching for a little while I, and I realized, no, I don't want that show. I want this show. What they're making <laughs> is so much cooler than what it would have been if it was like, let's really pretend what it would be like if I had to get off this island and build, you know, this boat with the trees in the background. You know, it was like, they built a fucking tree house. <laughs> you know, they created beer and they have a lighthouse and a fireworks. This is better than that. This is fun. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, what what are you working on now? What's next for you? So I'm working on a new show. I can't really talk about it yet. It's going to be announced on the 15th. So Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So just started working on that. And well, uh, the show, this won't release for about two weeks. If you do want to drop a spoiler, it, people will will, film, will be released after the 15th. If you just want to give a heads up on what that would be. <laughs> I, I, can't, no, that's I okay. Don't worry about it. But you, I mean, I could I could call you like after it's announced, I could come back and I just I, I'm afraid to I don't want to I'm not I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. That's fair enough. When you are, please come back on the show and discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait. And also when it when it does so it starts filming on the 15th or does it get released on the 15th? Oh no, no. So it's announced on the 15th. So okay. we we've already started filming. We've been filming for for two weeks and the show will be announced on Monday it, when it's the release date, who knows it, it'll probably be, you know, further uh, maybe towards the middle or end of the year. Well, whenever you're ready to talk about it, you have an, an open date. I'll shuffle whatever other interviews I have that on any given day that you want and we'll make it happen. Awesome. Thank you. No, no worries. No, worries. I definitely want to hear about it. And if you can have uh, Braden just send me an email uh, with the announcement when you're ready and we'll announce it on our, uh, web, websites and what we'll tweet it all out and make sure it's known to everybody. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I greatly appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> I, yeah, I had a good time. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Have a great night. Right. You too. Bye. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, <laughs> I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you got to go check out SpoilerVerse.com because at SpoilerVerse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> it's, it's a good word. <laughs> we have an obscene amount of oh, interviews obscene. with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers and oh my god are you a lover of comic books like we are and then there's so many. so many amazing people from the comic book world over at spoilerverse.com and i highly implore you to go there and check it out yeah and while you're there you can check out all the other podcasts on our network like bridges and geekdoms and funny book forensics and haphazard adventures and nerds in the kitchen so many more misery point radio. episodes all the time misery point radio has got a ton of great stuff out there go check all of them out and check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you every day on swillivers.com for you to check out to read and to love and to like and to comment we have a store link you want to help support the site you do it two ways one go to our patreon which is just patreon.com slash country or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt a face mask a hoodie something look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two 
And you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You just mouthed out a ton of information at once. And really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're, we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are. We are. I guess there's only one left thing. One left thing? Yeah. I'm going to go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind. And even more.